Hello and welcome to Roses Radio, Voices Saving Lives. This podcast is presented by Roses in the Ocean, an Australian-based national not-for-profit that's been founded in order to change the way suicide is spoken about, understood and prevented. We hope that by presenting lived experience stories along with the insights and wisdom of the courageous people who share them, we will help to dispel some of the myths about suicide, improving the suicide literacy of our communities and contributing to reducing the fear, discrimination and judgement that sadly still inhibits our ability to support others and seek help. At Roses in the Ocean we believe that most suicides are preventable and we need to be able to openly speak about suicide. So please, open your hearts and minds to the possibilities that a deeper understanding of suicide can bring to saving lives. Well, hi folks, uh, it's Lane here. Welcome back to uh, Roses Radio. And today we're going to have a really interesting conversation. My guest today is Bridget. Bridget, welcome to Roses Radio. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I want to um, start with a statement um, that you made. I'm really intrigued as to um, where this comes from. And the statement that you made is this, uh, I am me and I am free. What does that mean for you right now? It means that I've been on a journey and I've done a lot of growing, a lot of growth and a lot of personal work to get to where I am now, from where I've been to now. And what does that feel like for you? It's emancipating. Yeah. It's, um, it's great. It's a very joyous space to be. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. So take us back to childhood. I, I know from your story that suicidal ideation and, and suicide as a, I guess suicide as a thing appeared very early in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us about your first recollections of uh, suicide and, and uh, some of the story around that. Um, I was, I don't know how old I was. Um, my dad talked about wanting to die a lot. Um, but when he first attempted it, I don't know how old I was. I'm guessing I was probably around seven. I could have been younger. Um, yeah, it was a challenging time. It was one that I tried to block out a lot as a child. I have memories of finding my dad in some states that children shouldn't see their parents in Um, and having him come into the room at night to say goodnight and he'd go to my sister and say I'm going to do it tonight and then her begging him not to do that not to not to not to do that and me just rolling over and hiding myself in my quilt and blocking it all out, just shutting out everything. And how old was your sister at the time? She's almost four years older than me. So Mm. I'm not sure of her age. I wasn't sure of my age. Um, But, yeah, that happened several times where there was attempts made and 
waking up to lights flashing in our bedroom window knowing that another emergency vehicle's come again, that it's tried again. Um, quite a terrifying and worrying time. So um, I can't imagine uh, what it was like uh, as a 17-year-old girl to have to go through that. But as, as um, time went on um, over the next few years whilst dealing with the complexities of all of that, how did the, how did the family cope? What was the, what was the thing that the family did in order to be able to navigate um, that part of your life? We moved away. We moved interstate um, to try and give us some normality, I guess. Um, and then time went by. Um, my sister wrote I didn't. Um, and then eventually Dad ended up ending his life when I was 10 years old. Yeah. And where did you move to? Um, we moved to South Australia because we lived in Melbourne at the time. So. Right. And what was that like for you know nine-year-old girl to you know move into state and and um, you know put down new roots and and um, establish new relationships and was that a difficult transition for you to yeah, make? Yeah, I make friends fairly easily, but it was having to start again. Like I had to start over and find people that I could be friends with and changing schools. I moved two schools when we first moved over. Um, yeah, so I changed schools and had to make friends again. And then change schools again. I had to make friends again, while we're trying to like move around and find where we're going to live. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a difficult time. I I wrote a poem about when I was told about my dad dying. I wrote a poem about what it felt like for me then. Would you like to read that poem for us? Yeah, I think I would actually. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. We'd love to hear it. So is the, is, the, um, is the poem entitled anything? It's titled Dad Had Depression, but um, I'm not quite sure of what his diagnosis actually was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Over to you. We'd love to hear. Okay. My dad had depression, so we moved away. He and my sister would write. I would just play. He complained to my sister that I never wrote, that I couldn't be bothered to jot down a note. I drew him a picture, a rainbow for promise, a sun for light, and a whole lot of teardrops, a whole lot of raindrops for tears shed each night. Days, months went by. I was sure more would pass. I was working when a worried-looking teacher came into my class. She said, I'm here for Bridget. She needs to go home with her mum. Bridget, pack up your things. There was a knot in my tongue. My sister looked worried as she came into sight. As we walked to the office, her throat seemed all tight. My sister was crying before mum opened her mouth. I wasn't so sure of what it was all about. Then mum said, Dad's dead, and broke down in tears. I said nothing. I was all of ten years. I was told it wouldn't hurt that it didn't hurt, that he suffered no pain, that I just sat and listened. How could I tell them that I thought I was part to blame? He left us both a present, one half, $50, one half burnt $50 note, our old house and lots of memories of which I hardly ever spoke. We sat at the front at the funeral. I didn't want to cry. 
I w- so I watched a piece of fluff fr- float round as people said goodbye. Then the coffin started to go down and I had to fight with myself to sit. I wanted to yell, don't take my dad away. I wanted to have a fit. One kid, kid said, look at her, she didn't even cry. She mustn't care much, there's not a tear in her eye. There was something about Dad's funeral that stuck inside my brain. It's that people had nice things to say and they said them again and again. Why then is it that we wait for someone to die? Why don't we tell them how great and treasured they are while they're still alive? How's that feel for you to read that? It's quite emotional (laughs) trying to read that. Yeah, I can see. Mm. It, the question at the end that I'd written for myself, when I wrote it, I was directing it at, every, at all the people there. But since then, I've done a lot of soul searching within, and I think it's more aimed at myself for mm. not for not writing and not not saying those things, not saying I love him. Mm. Yeah. It's those regrets that uh, often emerge, isn't it, mm. when we have um, sudden moments. Or any moment for that matter. You know, your dad lived with suicidal ideation, so there was always potentially a risk. Mm. And in a funny kind of way, we sometimes expect that that might be the thing that happens. But when it does happen, it's still an overwhelming shock, isn't it? Mm. Irrespective of our expectations or anticipations. Yeah, I guess it became our normal as, yeah. as that threat was hanging over our head. Yeah. You talk in um, some of our correspondence about feeling a sense of relief, but feeling a sense of guilt Mm. associated with that relief. Let's explore that a little bit more. Firstly, where did the relief come from? The relief was we were worried that he might come and get us and take us all out with him. Um, There was also relief at the fact that I didn't have to wait for that phone call anymore didn't have to wait to be told that he's he's died this time um but then just to think that all the guilt came up from that um for thinking that for not writing for not communicating for trying to forget him yeah a lot of guilt Mm. and then that guilt became too much so then I shut all of it out (laughs) and didn't I didn't cry. I didn't want to let myself do that. I didn't want to let myself cry. So I didn't speak about it. I didn't I didn't want it to be a part of my world. So I just shut it all shut it all out until a year later. And what happened uh, a year later? I was sitting in my classroom again. It was actually the same classroom. And I wrote the date and then I realized that it was the day that he died. And I just said my dad died a year ago today and then burst into tears for the first time since he died that that I just suddenly realized that he's no longer alive yeah was there a catalyst for that or like why in that moment was it just the anniversary or was there another reason why that moment occurred i think I think it was just an acceptance, like because I finally accepted it in that moment. Um, because before I just, because we we're living in a different state, I could pretend that it didn't happen. Um, 
So I guess when I wrote the date and just suddenly realised, oh, that was the day, and then I actually spoke it out loud, that was the moment where I just maybe accepted it. So as time went on from that moment where, um, you know, on the anniversary day, the realisation hit, how did that impact from that moment onwards? Um, at the time, I remember, like, I cried and the teacher said, oh, go get a drink of water and sent a friend out with me. So I stopped crying. Um, and I don't think I cried again about it. I think that was a message to stop crying to me. <laughs> um, the, when I w went back to school after my dad's funeral, the kids there would come up to me in the schoolyard and say, oh, your dad mustn't care about you, or he must have been a terrible father. He won't go to heaven. It was a Christian school that I went to. Um, so, yeah, those things were pretty hard to hear. How did that make you feel? Um, ashamed and hurt. I guess it fed onto the guilt that I already had. Mm. Yeah. And as time went on, were you able to reconcile that guilt or did you carry that guilt with you for a long period of time? I buried it. <laughs> yeah. I shut it out again. Um, I had more things going on in my life after that moment, I had, I had um, more traumas and other things. So that kind of put that aside for me. Um, and in between all of that, I just lived my life. You know, I had a strong interest in horses and ended up hanging around places with horses and just picking up poo so I could be near a horse. And then eventually I got to ride the horses and um, ended up with my own horse. Um, and that was amazing. Having my own horse was freeing for me. I did. I just I enjoyed the fact I could get up in the morning, leave the house, leave everything behind, all my emotional stuff, leave it all behind, go out to my horse and then just be with the horse. I just felt like I was at one with the horse. And I'd often just ride without saddles and things just so I could feel more up on with the horse and just go for a run, like just blow all the, blow all the crap away. Just, yeah. Tell me about your two daughters, your two wonderful daughters. Um, they've, I don't know what to say about my daughters. <laughs> they're amazing. Um, they're very kind. Um, my eldest daughter... Would she, when I was starting to become really depressed, she would say to me, Mum, just talk to me, just tell me what's going wrong. And I'd filter what I told her as much as I could. Um, I tried not to tell her a lot. Um, Why was that? Why, why did you try not to tell her a lot? To protect her, yeah. Protect her from what? From 
trauma from my trauma, vicarious trauma. Um, yeah, I I tried not to. I tried to shelter her from what I was feeling and thinking, uh, especially when I was feeling suicidal. I never I never told her. Um, do you think it's important that we do talk to our children about some of those feelings? I actually regret telling her as much as I did okay. because while I was trying to okay. filter things I did I did tell her a lot um, I would not advise to anyone <laughs> to tell their children that they feel like killing themselves unless they're adults but um, I never told her that and I'm glad I never did Do you remember when suicidal ideation first emerged for you? Um, I knew where I was living at the time, but I don't, I don't remember the moment that I first thought of it. Um, but I do know that I would think of think of a, a method, and then I'll become really familiar with that method, and then my feelings around it would change and I'd start and I'd think of something else and then I'd pick another method. Um, yeah, I... I don't recall when... when I know it was when everything was coming up for me from my past. Um, my children had reached ages where trauma had impacted me. I think that might have been a trigger for it. I think for me, I was just trying a way to stop, trying to find a way to stop all the distress I was feeling. Um, and at the same time, I'll be battling myself thinking, well, how can I do this to my children? How yeah. can I put all of my stuff onto them because I felt like I've carried my dad's burden. So I don't want to make them carry mine. Yeah. So you talk in some of the um, conversation we've had uh, up until now about kind of really finding yourself lost in that in that space, you know, sitting and staring at the wall and, and mm. all those sorts of behaviours where it was just, it was obviously becoming really hard for you to function normally. It or was. as you as you yeah. would tell me a little bit about that time and some of those behaviors that were attached to that um, I was just feeling so anxious that I couldn't function I couldn't think through a, a task to do the task um, I don't remember are you talking about basic tasks here, like, yeah, like you know, cleaning the, cleaning the house or, yeah. or you know, Dude, washing up? Or I hated going shopping. I hated being around people. I wanted to withdraw away from people. Okay. Um, and I had a job at a cinema, which I had to talk to people every day in my job. Um, but that job also kept me going because I would lie there on the floor wanting to die and then get up and go to work. Yeah. It was like I had a place I had to be. Yeah. So then 
I did that. I, I went, I went to work, did what I was supposed to do, and came home. I didn't do a very good job of it at the time because I'd often forget where I was and what, like, what I'd, I'd sweep a row and forget to pick up the pile at the end. Or, um, yeah, I, my boss was very tolerant <laughs> yeah. at the time. For those who might be out there and thinking, I just, I'm, I'm that person. I'm Bridget. I'm overwhelmed what do I need to do? What did you do? How did that healing journey begin for you? I actually, I wrote, I started writing poetry about my story. Um, my youngest daughter was actually seeing a counsellor for anxiety at the time. And I, I handed him at the end of a session my poems and said, read them when I'm gone. Um, I didn't want to be... I didn't want to see his reaction and um, he read them and then I sent an email asking what he thought and he said he said um, that you know I'd done nothing wrong and he'd suggested that I start counselling um, so we, between the two of us he, we organised a counsellor and that was my start of my counselling journey and I'd had, I've had several counsellors since then and they've all been amazing. They've all helped me with different parts in my life. The first one introduced me to mindfulness um, and started teaching me... I started learning about my rights as a human being um, and that was quite a journey to start understanding that. That I, you know, I had rights and I could say no, and um, from there I ended up studying women's education at TAFE, and I was really close to my lecturer, who was also a TAFE counsellor, and she's been an amazing support through my journey. Um, and she's retired now, and we are still friends, and I still catch up with them, her and her husband. Regular, on like a regular basis. Um, she's been my rock, really. Yeah. Um, and I've, you know, I've... I feel like I've transformed from where I've been to where I am. What would you say to someone who has had an experience with a counsellor that maybe wasn't as positive and, and has kind of given up on the counselling process or... I'd tell them to keep searching. Yeah. Because yeah. one, one counsellor might suit one person, but each person's different. And if you've found one that doesn't suit you, then find one that does. And not necessarily look for psychologists either. I found the most helpful people weren't psychologists. <laughs> I mean, for some people they are. But for me, I actually found counsellors were were the people that helped be a life coach for me rather than the psychologists. What's the difference? I really think it's just comes down to the individual and how you connect with them. I mean my daughter's counsellor was a psychologist and I connected with him and I would have been happy to see him but he only saw children. Um, I think I just had Counselors that the, the, the psychologists I saw, I don't think were suited to me. Other people found them amazing. 
but I just seem to fit in the counselling realm better. But I can't I can't articulate what it is that they've done differently to the psychologist. It might be just a personality thing. Okay. That we just connected. What's been the biggest growth area for you? The biggest growth. Getting an education um, through school. Like I had a 12-year-old reading age in high school in year 12. I did year 12. I didn't pass it. Um, So going back to study and doing really well in my study was so encouraging to me because I thought that I was extremely dumb. Um, And then realising that I could use my life, my story, maybe to help other people. Um, That was also like an eye-opening moment and that made me go into the journey of working in mental health. Um, which I am now a support worker in mental health. Um, And I guess my other journey that I've been on is learning to stand on my own two feet, um, to... that I don't have to rely on everybody around me, but at the same time... I can learn to trust people. You know, there are good people out there that I can trust. So it's been, a, yeah, a big growth area, all of those. Wonderful. You wrote a poem about some of that growth um, that you've experienced and um, what a wonderful way for us to uh, begin to wrap up the conversation that we've had today on Rose's Radio, but by reading that poem, which is really an expression of uh, of that growth phase for you. Um, is this poem titled anything in particular? This one's titled PTSD, um, hence my journey. <laughs> Great. We look forward to hearing it. Inside my heart is beating hard. I can feel it in my ears. Slow it down, make it stop. I don't want to see my fears. A smell, a sound, a word, a touch, a movie in my mind. No, go away, don't come back. You I never want to find. Memories, I know you're there, but I thought I'd lock the door. How long have I been sitting here, just staring at the floor? I can't seem to find the time, but time I seem to lose. I need to cook, to clean, to wash, but I can't seem to move. Oh dear, there's a person, gather. I have a lovely day, but inside my shell I'm shrinking. Please just let me hide away. Dark days, guilt, shame, panic, anxious thoughts that never stop. Head reeling, me reacting. Sorry, it's just too hard to shock. Daughter, what was that? You want to hold me near? I'm sorry, I've gone away. I'm lost inside my fear. Slowly there's a glimpse of light, a person who has heard. My therapy slowly working as I stumble out the words. I learnt that I need to stop to make time for self-care. The understanding of beliefs, great is becoming so self-aware. Learning too that I have rights and I've gained so much respect. 
a gift I give my daughters, a way to self-protect. I learnt too that I can breathe to help me through my pain and when it starts to rise again, I can breathe through it again. Even still I grow stronger, I take time out to learn. My teacher and inspiration, through her my pathway I discerned. And still I keep on growing, healing, more goals that I have reached. Now I want to help another with the inner me unleashed. The inner me unleashed. What would you, what advice would you give to someone who is experiencing uh, some anxiety around what's happened to them and, and is looking for a way forward through um, some of that history and, and some of the darkness? What would you like them to know uh, from your journey that you think might be important for them to hold on to? That they're not alone. That um, it's scary to reach out and ask for help. But if you can be brave enough to do it, it can change your life. You just got to do the work. I've really enjoyed having the conversation with you today. I think you're pretty brave. Oh, thank you. I think you're pretty courageous and... I know there's some things in there that are going to be hugely beneficial for others and um, your lived experience um, has made you who you are and uh, the lessons that you've been able to pass on to us today are going to have some really significant impact on others and I just want to say thank you for reaching into your story and being so open uh, and honest about it and sharing it with us on, uh, on Rose's Radio today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.